So we are in week two of our summer series in the Psalms. And uh, I want to start off by asking the question, do you enjoy art, right? I mean, even the, the song we just heard uh, from Zach, I mean, it's, it's beautiful, right? And so what aspect of that do we, do we enjoy? And I would actually love for you to do this. Um, I, I actually want you to put something in the comments. I, it will pop up on my screen. I will get to see it and I will get a piece of, of joy or, or whatever emotion is invoked when you look at a certain piece of art or you hear a song, um, whatever that may be. And that could be a painting. It could be a sculpture. It could be architecture. It could be a song. It could be a poem. It could be a book. I really, really want people to just say this, this thing just means so much to me. So I would just love to love to see those fly up in the comments. And, and uh, maybe we can even highlight a, a couple. I know there's like a little bit of a delay here when I'm when I'm talking, but uh, so I'll talk about a few of my my favorites. There was obviously that, that French painting uh, that I mentioned a couple weeks back that I can't pronounce his name. And so I'm not going to attempt to do that again. But we have this painting of the of the Eiffel Tower, kind of going downstairs um, on the on the hallway wall. And and uh, we actually got that at the state fair, um, which, you know, uh, it, it, well, I don't know that, either that brings good emotions to you or, or, or fear or terror. When you think about the state fair, I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. Um, but we were able to get that painting and, and it just, uh, it's just kind of this, it's kind of a gray day like this and just the Eiffel tower. I don't know. I just, I just, I just really enjoy looking at that painting. Uh, that's, that's one, a, a book. I'm, I'm not a huge, um, novel reader, uh, just because of time. I do so much reading for work that, um, it's hard for me to just to open up a book for, for fun, if you will. Uh, but I remember in college, uh, I was recommended the road, the, the road, uh, by, uh, McCarthy and, um, and I was sitting in a coffee shop, um, and my, my cousin Nathan recommended it to me and I, and I sat there and I, and I read the whole thing cover to cover. And if you know anything about the book, there's no chapter divisions. So I don't know if my like tiny little brain couldn't handle that. There's nowhere to stop. Um, but uh, yeah, Nolan just posted, get into uh, Datsavitsky. I can't even, if I can't pronounce it, the name, I'm probably not going to read it. Um, Chaz Tolstoy, uh, he is a big Tolstoy fan, which is, which is pretty cool. Um, Amy Overgaard talking about some poetry. I can actually... Uh, pop these in here so you can see them uh if, if you're if you want to uh let's see who else we got here Rembrandt's return of the prodigal son it's a good one remembrance of the past things I'm not sure joseph what is what is that is that a painting or the Space Trilogy by C.S. Lewis I thought I knew everything about C.S. Lewis I've never heard of the space trilogy. So I'll have to check that out. That's pretty cool. Um, all right, I'm going to keep going here. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. The road. I read it in one sitting though. The whole thing. I couldn't, I couldn't put it down. I could not stop uh, reading that book. It just sucked me right in. Uh, architecture. I think of uh, the Chicago Tribune building uh, downtown downtown uh, Chicago. It's right off of Michigan Avenue. It's right on the river. Uh, fun story. It just, I don't know, it's just a kind of Gothic, you know, architecture. It's just, you know, with the, with the buttresses, just this beautiful building. Uh, I had a friend in high school whose dad worked up, up on like the top floor. And so we actually crawled out of the window onto the roof. Um, we, we played catch with a football, uh, on the roof of the Chicago Tribune building. It was 
quite terrifying and fun at the same time. We were very afraid to to drop uh, that that book. So that book. Sorry, I'm 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 trying to read and talk. Uh, clearly, I cannot do five things at once. Uh, song. When I think of a song, oh man, Rhapsody in Blue, bar none. The song just in, invokes so many different emotions in me. And and then it's just even the memory. Um, five years ago, my wife and I, where we took these pictures here, we've got them. Sorry, I'm going to get people motion sick um, of of the of the uh, Big Ben and the Eiffel Tower and then the Coliseum. And so we we took those pictures five years ago, but we were sitting outside. We, one day we we're just walking around Rome and being tourists, you know, doing touristy things and I forget where we were walking, but there was this old ruin of a, of a circus, like, you know, like a, the horse track circus and you couldn't tour it. It was so dilapidated and everything, but there just happened to be people that were going to be doing a concert, a piano concert that night. And so we bought tickets and we went back and they, and they were doing a, a George Gershwin concert in Rome under the open sky beneath these ruins uh, and they played Rhapsody in Blue, and it, I mean, it was just one of the most magical, awesome evenings of my life. Um, and so I, so I think of that. I think of poetry. Uh, I remember in college, I had to take, uh, had to uh, take a creative writing class. And the only thing that the, I got out of that class was how uncreative I really am. I mean, I don't have a creative bone in my body, at least compared to other people who are taking that class. It was, I, I didn't know what I was doing. And so we, we did all kinds of things, short stories and poetry and all that kind of thing. And, and the teacher would actually get up before every class and read someone's work, you know, that had done really well. Um, yeah, mine was never, uh, mine was never read out loud. So uh, just, just saying. But when I was thinking about poetry, though, because again, it might not be my favorite thing, but then I was thinking, though, no, actually, are the, all the hymns that we sing, it's, it's poetry. A lot of the songs and music that we all love, it's poetry. And it's good poetry. And, and so the psalm that we're looking at today, Psalm 115, this was actually a psalm that my my brother uh, turned into music. And, and I haven't heard it in probably 10 years. I tried looking up. I even busted out my old computer the other day, seeing if I could find an audio file from him playing the song. I, I just couldn't find it. But but I know it. I, I sing it quite regularly. Uh, with uh, with the psalm in Psalm 115. And so this psalm means a lot to me because I have it memorized from how my, my brother sang it and how, um, and I would just, and I sing along. And even just the last few days and this last week as I've been reading this psalm again, uh, that uh, last night I, I just was hearing my brother sing the song over and over and over. And that's a, that's a good thing, right? Um. So a couple, a couple, just I don't know facts if you want to about this psalm is that we don't we don't know the date, we we don't know when it was written, and we don't know who wrote it. We have no idea. Uh, but when we look at the the scriptures and and how how does something fall into the Bible and, and how can this be part of the Bible, it's the one of the the biggest things. Well, there's three things. I'm gonna well, I don't. This was not on my notes, but there's there's conformity. How does it conform to all of the Bible? There's uh, apostolicity, meaning was it, was there somehow, you know, is it connected to an apostle? Well, this is Old Testament, so that wasn't a, a problem. Um, but then Catholicity, which is, um, the, has the church recognized this as scripture? And this is part of the Jewish Bible, which that has been around forever. And so that there's a big reason uh, why this is included in our, in our scriptures. 
Um, and, and actually, the Israelites would sing this later on. We don't know exactly when, when it started happening, but they would actually sing this and recite this during their Passover meal. And we'll, we'll see why right as we get into this. So the cool thing about this psalm in particular, um, when we think about poetry, and again, it doesn't have rhyme and meter, uh, but there's repetition, but there's also an order and a structure to this one. And, um, and so it kind of has like that A, B, C, C, B, A rhythm. And so it's going to start off, you know, in the A of saying it's, it's all about God's glory and it's going to end with God's glory. And then there's going to be B, it's all about it's God is in the heavens, God is in the heavens. And then C, uh, don't trust idols and then do trust God. Um, it's just really cool how the, how the structure works. And so we're going to get into this. And uh, it's impossible for me to read this, this psalm and not, not sing it. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. Because of your love, because of your truth. All right, uh, that's enough of that. I promise I won't. I won't keep doing that to you the whole psalm. Um, but this is this is how I I remember this, and and I and I enjoy the art and the poetry behind this. So here's this this first chunk that we get. Not unto us, Lord, not unto us. And and when, again, when we see Lord in all caps, which this is all throughout this this psalm. That means it's it's the it's the the covenant name that God has given to Israel. So it's not just Lord L O R D. If it's in all caps, that means Yahweh, right? Not unto us, Yahweh, not unto us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and your faithfulness. And 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 when we look at these verses, there's kind of two ways. It's and it's both and. It's not either or. There's two ways that this. Needs to be interpreted. One is the glory should not be ours, and it can't be ours because you're worthy, right? You're the only one who's worthy of glory, not not me, not my name, not not anything that we have done, but but only to you, God, right? The kind of that 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 positive way of saying you are worthy. The other way that it needs to be read as well is that I'm not worthy, and so in in particular here. If they're thinking this and singing this song at, at Passover, they're they're saying, God, you you just freed us from slavery, from death, from destruction, and all the things that you've done. And maybe the surrounding nations are looking at us and they're going, Man, these Israelites, they're just they just they just keep coming. You know what I mean? They 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 just work it out. They they uh, they pull themselves up by them boot by their bootstraps as a, as a community, and man, good for them. They're doing they're doing all right for themselves. And they're saying, no, 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 God, this is not about us. And that your name needs to be praised and glorified. Why? Because of your faithfulness and your love to your people, to us. All right, God, that's what you have done. And that's your glory. But it's, but again, it's both and. It's saying, no, you, you, you are worthy of praise and glory. And when we know anything about God's glory, when we think about Moses, I remember, I mean, preaching this, especially at First Baptist Church, I love it because one of the stained glass windows has that, has this image in there of, of a cleft in the rock. Um, and, the, and, the, and, and Moses, he asked God, I want to see your glory. I want to see you. And God's like, yeah, you can't do that. I mean, you, you could do it. I could, I could let you see me, but then I'd have to kill you. Uh, actually, I wouldn't even have to kill you. You would just die by seeing me. That's that's how glorious I am. You, you can't even begin to understand what that looks like. 
And so God says, all right, I'm not going to just, I can't, I can't show you my glory, but I'm going to show you where I once was. I will, I will actually show you where my glory once was. And just by Moses seeing the afterburners, right? I mean, he hides him. He hides him in a rock and he covers him with his hand, God does. And then he passes by and then he lets him see where he's at or where he once was. And just that makes his face literally shine. I don't mean that as, as a millennial, like, this is literally the best cup of coffee I've ever had. It's a good one. It's, you know, mahogany from uh, Caribou. It's, it's not bad, right? It's, it's good. It's tasty. But it's not, li- he, he literally shone. Right? His face glowed because he just saw once where the glory of God was. I also, though, think of the glory and the, and the worth. And what I want to try to do is look at Old Testament, right? Look at when we have this, this name, Yahweh, that this is the creator God, this is the God of the Israelites. Well, in the New Testament, it's the same God. Nothing has changed about, about who this God is. It's all, it's all the same God in the whole, whole story. But yet we, we revealed something more about our God when we get to the cross of Jesus Christ. And when we get to the end, when God's going to make all things new. And so I want to read a passage from Revelation 5. Um, and it's actually going to be verses 1. 1 through 14. And so just bear with me as I read these. And, it, and again, this book is, it's, a, it's apocalyptic. There's some grandiose language that's used here, but he's trying to get something across. He's trying to paint a mental image that stirs our soul into a, specifically, and this one is God is worthy and there is no one else like him. Starting in verse one of Revelation five, it says, then I saw at the right hand of him who sat on the throne, that's God, that's Yahweh, a throne on the throne, a scroll with the writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. Not unto us, Lord, not unto us. The Apostle John here says, I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed Jesus. He is able to open the scroll and it's seven seals, right? I always picture Aslan here. Right, just this lion of the tribe of Judah, right? And little Lucy is—is is he safe? Well, he's not safe. He's a lion, but he's good. He's good, and he's so good. The next—the next phrase, as John lifts his head to see this lion of the tribe of Judah, he says, "And then I saw a lamb, looking as it have had been slain." standing at the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders and the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. Stay with me. Okay. Stay with me. It gets a little, gets a little, little interesting. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat in the thrones of Jesus. The lion lamb goes up to God, his father, and he takes the scroll out of his hand. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb Each one had a harp and we're holding a a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. That right there, I don't care what you think about prayer. Prayer doesn't do anything, doesn't change anything. Well, there's a lot of reasons why we could talk about that uh, and that prayer does change things and it is powerful. But yet right here, this verse lets me know that at the very least, 
that my prayers, again, are literally going to be a sweet-smelling savor to God, that they bring him pleasure. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scrolls and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, Jesus, you purchased for your father, for God, persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Everybody. You have made them to be a kingdom and a priest to serve our God, and he will reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard a voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times times 10,000 and encircled the throne of living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them. That's going to be us someday as one unified body to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. The elders fell down and worshiped. Not unto us, Lord, not to us, but to your name, give glory. It's the second kind of chunk that he's going to move into the kind of the, the, the B next. Our God is in the heaven. Verse two, why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. He does whatever pleases him. All right, and this was the, actually the, the chorus of the song that my, my brother wrote. Our God is in the heavens doing what he pleases, right? This, this, is, this is what it is. This is the, and it goes, goes on throughout the psalm of this, this is who our God is. He's powerful. He's in control. But yet the Gentiles are going to say, where's your God? And this is the question that has been asked of believers of, of God in heaven since the beginning, or is he? I mean, I mean, really, right? The Pharaoh said it, God showed up, they believed. Well, where is he now? What's going on? Right, we interact with somebody, we may talk with somebody who's a skeptic or just a non-believer or somebody maybe genuinely asking, no, like seriously, if he just showed up, if you just end all this suffering, I'd believe in a heartbeat. Where is your God? It's a question that's been asked for thousands of years. And a matter of fact, it was asked to God himself. Looking at Luke chapter 23, Jesus is dying on the cross for the people who are mocking him to the point where he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're saying to me. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. If you are the Savior, just save yourself. The soldiers came up also and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Where's your God? If you're God, just, just do it. There was written a notice above him which read, King of the Jews. One of the criminal, criminals who hung there, who was on a cross right next to him, hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? 
save yourself and us. Anyway, hey, you're the you're the savior. Why don't you save uh, yourself? And then after you do that, why don't you go ahead and save me too? Just getting mocked. Where is your God? As they're talking to God. Why should the Gentiles say, where is your God? Well, I'm telling you, my God is in the heavens. And this isn't an answer of, of uh, uh, you know, hey, well, where's the, where's the proof? Where, where's, where's God? How do we know God exists? And then we just snap back. Well, my God's in the heaven, and he does whatever he pleases. All right, well, maybe calm down, Karen. Okay, this isn't maybe something that we say like that right then. Right? Matter and manner matter. All right, sorry if there's anyone named Karen listening. I don't mean that to be uh, personally offensive. My God is in the heavens, and he does do whatever he pleases. We just talked about this throughout the whole book of Job, right? No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You are powerful. Moving on, though, he's going to then say, that, or, or she, the author of this, is then going to say, don't put your trust in idols. Starting at verse 4, he says, but they're idols, right? Our, so... Our God is in the heavens, and he does whatever he pleases, but their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. And those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. The ironic thing about this is that is what he's saying is that even though they're made of, of precious metals, even though they might have worth monetarily speaking, the individual making it is of far greater value. They're worth more because they're a human being created in the image of God. And even though they are whittling something and sculpting something and creating art, if you will, they're creative because their creator made them to be creative. And they're taking that and they're saying, I want to make this thing and worship this thing that I've made. And it's a complete reversal of how we were created to worship God, to be his image bearers. Looking at that last verse there in verse eight, those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. This doesn't mean they're worthless. It can't mean that because we know, again, the rest of the story that Jesus loves these individuals so much that he died for them. This doesn't mean that they're worth this. What this means is they are as good as dead. They're just an inanimate object if they're putting their trust and their faith in this thing. And we can look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and where it says, I was dead. I was dead in my sins. But God, through Christ, made me alive. I want to take a moment and just, I don't know, application-wise, look at some of these aspects of our idols. Um, I have seen in, in Lower Town uh, one time someone actually bowing down to a, to a physical idol. That's not typically something in our culture. That's something we, we typically see. We don't walk into people's houses and see shrines and, and candles lit and that kind of thing. And, but what are our idols? What are my idols? What are the things that I struggle with? And, and, and just like what the psalmist is saying here, I put my trust in that thing. Is my trust in my government? Do I trust the government to fix this? 
is my trust in education. That if we just, if everyone just was educated, what are we and we would fix all this. And these things that, we're, that I'm going to list here, these are, good, these are good things to pursue. They just can't be my highest thing. They can't be my God. They make lousy gods. I love my wife. She makes a terrible savior. She was not meant to save me. Idols of freedom, of rights. You can't tell me to stay at home. You can't tell me to not worship with my church. You can't. Is that my idol right now? Family. Family's good. I love my kids. Love them. When I, and, and maybe tied up in this is also safety. I think right now it's scary, right? I'll put a bubble around my kids and protect them or what do, what do you do? How, how do we handle this? Is safety my God right now? I think it kind of is, to be honest. Is it economic safety or stimulus or whatever? At the end of this, we're actually going to sing a song with Zach called Thy Will Be Done. And there's a phrase in here that I'm telling you, it's hard for me to sing it every time that we sing this song. And it goes like this. If thou should call me to resign, I'm thinking of Job, thinking of me, my situation, my kids. If you, God, should call me to resign what most I prize, it was never mine. I only yield thee what is thine. Thy will be done. That's the prayer of Jesus. This isn't my life. This is your life, God. Not my will, but thy will be done. What's our God? What do we need to repent of today? Because then he's going to go and he's going to transition now into that second C point of now. We don't trust in idols. We don't trust in these things. We trust in we trust in God. All you Israelites trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. We have that repetitive nature, but it starts broad and gets, right? It goes nationalistic. And we could, we could open this up. All of you Christians, all of you believers, all those who have bowed the knee to King Jesus, trust in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Everyone of Hope Community Church, Lower Town, trust in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. And all of those of you who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. The Lord remembers us and he will bless us. He will bless his people. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike, right? Trust him. He's our, our help and our shield. All those big, big, medium, small, and then the same, same thing. He's, he's going he's gonna to bless us. Is he going to bless us monetarily and physically? Maybe, maybe not. But what he will bless us, as we looked at last week, is he will bless us, bless us with the forgiveness of our sins. May the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. Again, looking at the New Testament, then we are introduced to a character named John the Baptist, right off the bat in, 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 the, in Mark. But in the Gospel of John 136, we have this, where, where, the, where, where John the Baptist sees Jesus, and he uses this phrase, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Why? He's, he's the Lion of Judah. He is the Lamb. He is the sacrifice that won't just absorb sin for a little bit, 
by killing a lamb or a bull or a sheep or a goat. He is the lamb of God that will take away the sin of the world. We have so many distractions in our life right now. We have so many false idols. We have so many things to put our hope in to fix this, this, why I'm doing this. There's so many things I could put my trust in and my faith in. But if we put our trust in that thing, whatever it may be, we're dead. Those who make them are like them, and so are everybody who trusts in them. But behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Moving on to the second B as we kind of make our way out here, but, but God made the heavens. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth has been given to mankind. And this could just be that um, God clearly made the heavens, but, but we had this thing that we were doing in the garden before humanity screwed it up, but we have been given the earth and we are to be caretakers of this earth. And then finally that last A, but we will bless the Lord. Verse 17, it is not the dead who praise the Lord, nor those who go to the place of silence. It is we who extol the Lord both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. I have one quote here from, from C.H. Spurgeon that I just want to read, uh, particularly on those, on those verses. And then we'll close with application. He says this. The dead do not praise the Lord. So far as the world is concerned, they cannot unite in the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with which the church delights to adore her Lord. The preacher cannot magnify the Lord from his coffin, nor the Christian worker further manifest the power of divine grace by daily activity while he lies in the grave. Neither any that go down into silence. The tomb sends forth no voice from moldering bones and flesh-consuming worms. There arise no sound of gospel ministry nor the gracious song. One by one, the singers of the consecrated choir of saints steal away from us and we miss their music. Thank God they have gone above to swell the harmonies of the skies. But as far as we are concerned, we have no we have need to sing all the more earnestly because so many songsters have left our choirs. I want to give a little bit of good news with that. Um, a lot of you listening and watching remember Will and Cully Craig, um, dear friends that were taken from us in a horrific car accident last October. Um, but even from the grave, they've been able to bless us. Um, they were able to... Uh, uh, give the church a little bit of money, and, and they gave us a little bit over $5,000 um, uh, to uh, spend as we see fit. And and so as elders, Josh and Paul and I, and we'll be talking about what's the best way to utilize uh, that money uh, from the Craigs. I'm so thankful for them. I'm so thankful for, for James and Liam um, and uh, their love for the church, um, for us and and their parents. But I think this psalmist hits it on the head here, right? We miss, we miss Will and Cully. So that, should, that should motivate us to sing even more about the glory of our God. And we're going to see him again. 
But what we can see from this psalm is that the dead, the dead cannot praise the Lord. The wicked will not praise the Lord. The careless or people maybe who just don't know better do not praise the Lord. But we, we who are alive, we who believe, we will sing hallelujah. We will bless the Lord. It's the same, same word there in the Hebrew. It's translated bless the Lord, but it's hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is winning and he's going to win forevermore. Amen. So in application, what are our idols? What are we trusting in? Are we trusting in ourselves? Are we trusting in our own works? Are we trusting in all those things maybe I listed? Those are good things. But am I trusting in that? And finally, trust in Jesus. He is the hope of the world. I'll close in prayer and then we will jump into a time of, of communion together as we remember what it is that Christ did for us and his love, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I just want to lift you up. Not, not us, not Hope Lower Town, not me, not my family, not us. God, but to your name be glory. Because of your truth, because of your faithfulness, because of your steadfast love, that for thousands of years we have seen your gracious and merciful hand on people, that we can point to specific events and say, look what he did. But even when it seems like you're far away, even when it seems like you're distant and we can't hear you, as we looked at last week, the psalmist crying out and says, yes, but our sins are forgiven. And only because of the blood of the Lamb who is worthy of praise and honor and glory. And it is in that name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.